Good evening, Core Church. Hello. Um, it is, as always, a, a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful privilege to be with you. I cherish it every time. I say that every time, and I mean it every single time. Um, I'm really excited to just share um, a bit of a, a devotion and some, some thoughts with you. And then hopefully, hopefully we'll have time to um, break out into just little groups and, and share a little bit about what, what came out of that um, devotional time. So before we do that, let's just bow our heads in a word of prayer and just commit this time to the Lord. Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for another opportunity to come together, Lord, to hear your word, to sing to you, Lord, to just enjoy being in your presence, Lord, to... Um, to enjoy being in your word and, and in fellowship with each other, Lord. None of us would be here if it wasn't for what you've done on the cross, Lord. None of us would be part of this family, Lord. Um, and we just thank you so much that we get to be here one more time, but one less time before we see you, Lord. So we just pray that you would um, bless this time and that you would um, speak to each of our hearts through it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Uh, all the way pretty much up until walking into this room, I was deciding which direction uh, we will go with this tonight, but I, I think I will go in, in this direction. I'll tell you a story, um, and then I'll share a few things that, that came out of that experience. One or two of you might have already heard this story before, but if not, it's all good. Um, a couple of years ago, I think it was towards the start of COVID when kind of no one had anything to do. Um, I was sitting at home, um, and I think it was a Saturday and I went into sort of the back room where I could lock the door and that's where the piano is in my house. Um, and I sat down at the piano and it was a nice sunny day and I started playing the piano and the longer I played, the more I found myself just enjoying it. I played song after song after song. And I think it, it, it had been almost three hours at this point of I've just been playing and I'm absolutely loving what I'm doing. I'm enjoying it so much. And I just thought, I just, I'm enjoying it to the point where I want to thank God for it. I'm like, Lord, I just, I love this so much. I enjoy so much the ability to play piano in this way. Um, and in my sort of joy, it was almost like I could see him next to me, smiling tenderly at me and saying, I knew you'd enjoy it. I knew you'd love it. That's why I gave it to you. And since then, I've been thinking about this idea of gifts, how we give them, how we receive, I don't know, maybe it's because we're close to Christmas, it's making me think about it, but... <laughs> How we give them, how we receive them, why we give them. All of the things around this idea of gifts. Because my ability to play piano in that moment was a gift. And I thanked God for it as a gift. And he enjoyed that and responded to me by saying, I knew you would enjoy it. And that is where my enjoyment is coming from. I want to share a couple of thoughts with you around this idea of gifts. Um, because I think there's a practical application in it for us, but there's also just a deep reflection on the gospel and what Jesus has done for us in it as well. So I wrote down, I wrote down a few little takeaways um, and, I'll, and I'll 
read them to you and just share my thoughts around them um, with you. Point number one or reflection number one that came to my mind was that gifts are bought and given as an expression of love. Gifts are bought and given as an expression of love. True gifts are bought and given in that spirit. If they're not, then it's out of obligation or it's out of, you know, sucking up to someone or whatever. Some, some bad motive. But a true gift from a true heart is given out of love as an expression of love, as an extension of love. The reason I know that is because John 3.16 says, for God, so lo- for God so loved that he gave. Giving is a function of love. Giving is an expression of love. For God so loved that he gave. That's the first reflection. Gifts, true gifts are bought and given as an expression of love. The second point um, are that gifts are intended for the good of the recipient, to be used and to be enjoyed by the recipient. Right? Just like when I was playing piano and God said, I knew that you would enjoy this. I knew that you would like it. That's why I gave it to you. Um, Think about yourself as a human being. You're not God. You don't have what he has. But even in your frailty and in your fallen nature as a human being, when you think about someone you love and you think about wanting to give them a gift, you think about it from the point of view of what will they enjoy the most? What will bring them the greatest satisfaction when I give it to them and see the look on their face that they are profoundly enjoying this? That they feel seen by this, that they feel understood by this, that they feel loved by this. I want to give them that. I will invest in that. I will pay in order for them to have that. And it will give me great joy and satisfaction to do that. Right? Gifts are intended by the giver for the good of the recipient to be used and enjoyed by them. James 1.17 says this, Every good And perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation. God knows exactly what he's doing when he gives us the gifts that he gives. Practical and spiritual. He knows exactly what he's doing in that domain. And he picked that gift for you, each of you. To bring out and to maximize that enjoyment and his glory when you reflect on that gift. Right? That's why it was given. Number three. The love that inspires that type of giving is based on a deep knowledge of the object of affection. If I don't know someone very well, my ability to buy them a good gift is going to be very hit and miss. I need to know them intimately. And the more I know them, the more I will know what to give them, what will delight them, what will benefit them, what they will enjoy. It comes out of an intimate and deep and real knowledge. That's for us as human beings. God is not limited in knowledge the same way that we are. He's not. I can only know Daniel 
this much. Daniel can only know himself this much. But God not only knows me and him and everybody else in this room as much as we can possibly be known, completely known. He actually made us from scratch. Right? Um, in Psalms, we hear David say, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. There's an amazing, amazing thing in that. And it's as if God created the lock and the key for that lock at the same time. Not only did He give you the gift, He created the desire for the gift in you before He ever gave it. He knit you together in your mother's womb. He put you together. He knows you perfectly. And therefore, when He gives a gift, it is perfect. It's perfect for you. It's perfect for everything about you. And you will enjoy it because He made you to want it and to enjoy it. He gave me the ability to play the piano because He knew I would enjoy it. But not only did He know that, He created me to enjoy it. And then He satisfies my desire for it by giving me the gift. It's the most beautiful circle of affection. We can only do part of that because we don't always create, although you see that with parents, right? In creating their child and then in serving them the way that they do. That's the closest sort of picture that we have to it. But we try to know the people that we love as best as we can. And then we give them the best possible gift based on how well we know them. That kind of love that inspires that type of giving is based on a deep knowledge of the object of affection. Real love has to be based on knowledge. If it's based on anything else, it's infatuation or shallow affection. But it is not real love. Um, number five. There are only eight. We're already at number five. I promise this, this would, you know. Um, number five. The greatest joy. It's been like four minutes. This might be my shortest sermon ever. This, we might be breaking records here, people. Number five. The greatest joy for the giver is to see their gift received and appreciated in the spirit in which it was given. And the greatest joy for the recipient is to enjoy being showered in the love behind the gift that drove the giver to give that gift in the first place. I wrote that as a bit of a mouthful, so I'm going to read it again. The greatest joy for the giver is to see their gift received and appreciated in the spirit that it was given in. Right? That's over here. The greatest joy for the recipient, for the person receiving the gift, is to enjoy being showered in the love that is behind the gift. The love that drove that person to give that gift. That's the enjoyment for the person receiving the gift. We go back to the gospel. John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And the flip side of that coin is in 1 John 3, 1. Uh, we hear John saying, see what great love, see with what great love the Father has lavished upon us that we should be called the children of God. And that's who we are. There is this like, oh my gosh, I can't believe God did this. And I can't believe that this is what it means for me. There is a gift that is given and then there is an enjoyment in it being received. Right? 
Behold, and the thing that he's highlighting isn't just the gift, it's the love behind the gift. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us. That we should be called the children of God. That He would give us the ability to become His children, to be called His sons and daughters. Right? He understood the love behind the gift, and then He appreciates the gift in light of the love. He doesn't just take it and go thanks and walk off. He appreciates the, the love behind the gift. Right? So the greatest joy for the giver is for their gift to be received and to see that it's received. Um, and the greatest joy for the person receiving it is to receive the love that it was given with as well, um, not just the gift. Number six, there is an inherent expectation with gifts that they are supposed to be used. There's an expectation that when somebody gives you a gift that you're going to use it. Ugly Christmas sweater, you're going to wear it. If you don't wear it, you didn't really like the gift. There is an inherent expectation that you will use the gift. And when the gifts are used for their intended purpose, they bring great satisfaction to the recipient and to the giver. They bring great satisfaction to the recipient and to the giver. When I see you wearing the ugly Christmas sweater that I knit for you, and you are happy to be wearing it, I am very happy to have knit it together and given it to you. Yeah? Um... 1 Peter 4, 10 to 11 says this. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God. Whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. I am encouraged to use my gift and in using it, for others in the way that God intended, I feel greatly enriched and God is greatly glorified. Right? Both things are happening at the same time. Both the recipient and the giver are greatly satisfied by the use of the gift. You get the opposite of this happening in the parable of the talents in Matthew 25. The king who gives a bunch of his servants different talents. He says, okay, you're going to get 10 talents, 10 whatever, gold coins, you're going to get five, you're going to get one, right? The one who got 10 made 20, invested them and made 20. The one who got five made 10. And the one who got one reacted in a really unique way. It says this, the servant buried his talent and the servant who buried that talent said this, Master, he said, I knew that you were a hard man. Harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and I went out and I hid your gold in the ground and see here is what belongs to you. The servant reacted that way out of a warped view of who the king was. A severely warped view of who the king was. It's a warped perception of the character of the king and no trust is placed in the king. And it causes him to react that way. Hey, the king is a cruel man. The king is a hard taskmaster. The king has expectations of me I can't or don't want to fulfill. The king is harsh. The king is demanding. The king didn't give me this for my good or his. But he gave me this because he is 
selfish or, or, or a hard man or whatever the description is in the passage there. And as a result, he goes, you know what? No, not for me. I'm going to bury it in the ground. Give it back to him when he comes. I'm just going to keep it safe so that I can do the bare minimum to not be crushed by him when he comes back. Guess what? God treats him as he sees him. He treats him by saying, you're a wicked and lazy servant. If you thought this of me, then why didn't you act in, in a way that was according to your thoughts? Why didn't you actually invest it or do something with it? If you really thought that I was a hard man or that I was a cruel man and that I was going to expect it and exact it from you, why didn't you do something with it instead of hold on to it and do nothing? Gifts are given to be used but we'll only use them when we see them as good gifts given out of love intended for our good by a person who loves us more than we could ever love ourselves. By a person who not only gave the gift, but created the desire and the room for the gift. That verse of he knit me together in my mother's womb. Knitting is a very time consuming process. It's a very intricate process. And it takes heaps of time and attention and effort. He didn't snap his fingers and make you. He spoke one word and the galaxies came into being. But you, he knit together. You understand? Number seven. The greatest insult and offense to the giver of a gift is to try to purchase their gift instead of receiving it. This doesn't have to be a spiritual principle. If I buy someone a nice watch, or someone buys me a nice watch, and I go, man, that looks expensive, too expensive for me, bro. Let me just try to contribute to a part of its cost. It is, it is an insult and offense to every sensibility, to every motive that the person presenting me with the gift gave it to me with. I gave it to you because I love you. I gave it to you because I wanted to spend this lavishly on you. And you are diminishing my love for you by offering to pay for it. You're taking away from my expression of love towards you by trying to pay for it yourself. Ephesians 2, 6-10 says this, And God raised us up with Christ... Notice who's doing all the actions. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order that in the coming ages, He might show the incomparable riches of His grace expressed in His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves. You didn't pay for this. It is the gift of God, not by works, not by anything you've done or contributed, so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. It's God from beginning to end in this thing. And the lavishness of the gift and the grace that it was given by will be shown at the end when you realize how much, just how much you couldn't afford that gift. It's like, man, that was an unbelievably generous gift. 
There is a point that I missed somewhere here, but I'll mention it now. So maybe there were nine. I don't know. I don't know where it went. Um, the gift is free for the recipient, but not for the giver. Otherwise, it's worthless. The gift is free for you, the recipient. That does not mean it was free, period. It's not free. It costs something. But to you, it's free. You get to enjoy it for free because somebody else paid for it. That's what makes it a gift. That's why trying to pay for it is an insult. When we talk about what Jesus did for us, we receive it for free. You are saved for free. You get to come into God's family for free. You get to enjoy eternity with Him at no cost to you. Jesus invites you to partake in something you could never have purchased for yourself for free. It's offered to you for free. But it cost God everything. For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son. He gave Everything he had to purchase that gift and he gave the best of what he had to purchase that gift. You could not with anything that you could do or own come close to the value of the gift. We think in our modern society that free means worthless or cheap. The reason that somebody is willing to give me anything for free is because it must not cost them very much to do it. Like when I go to the Melbourne show and they give me a random show bag on the way out. That's not what this is. That's not what this is. This is something so expensive, so valuable, that no price tag could be put upon it, that there is absolutely no way that you can afford it, that God decides to pay for it and give it to you for free. As an expression of the depths and lavishness and generosity and grace of his love has zero reflection on what you're able to afford or not afford. The gift is free for you, but that does not mean that it was free. Number nine, I guess. Um, there is no return for the gift. And the rejection of a true gift has a relational cost. Romans says, For the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. There are no takebacks. Hebrews paints it in a more stark light. Hebrews 10, 28-29 says this, Anyone who has ignored the law of Moses is put to death without mercy, on the testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded ordinary the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the Spirit of grace? When the gift costs $5, and even then, you can't give it back. The fear of, you know, that's rude. Somebody for that $5 thought of me and decided to give me that gift, and that's rude. How much worse is it 
when the gift is utterly priceless. Not only that, was given out of a love that is inconceivable, out of a knowledge of you that is complete, and out of a desire for your good that is unmatched. When you choose to reject a gift of that magnitude given to you in that spirit, what do you think the response will be? You have rejected the greatest good that has ever come your way. But that's not really the offensive part. When we talk about the gospel, John 3.16 makes it very clear that Jesus himself is the gift. So you're not rejecting an object or an offer. You're rejecting a person. Jesus himself is the gift. You're rejecting the person. So a rejection of the gift is a rejection of God himself. Out and out. Is me saying, I don't, not only do I not love your gift or think that it's worthless to me, I also, by extension of that, think that the love behind it is also cheap and worthless to me. And that you, the giver, by extension, are worthless to me. And I don't want your gift, your love, or you. Take it back. Not interested. That is what it means to insult the spirit of grace. A love that comes to you with nothing but your good. With nothing but the purity of perfection in love. And offers you something that you could never buy for yourself. And you say no to the gift, to the love, and to the person. That damages you, damages your potential for relationship with God. That gift is the gateway and the invitation into your relationship with God. When you say, I don't want it, that relationship becomes impossible. Because you haven't just rejected the gift, you've rejected the person who can make it possible. And you've separated yourself. Let's not reject that gift. Yeah? So there are, I'll just recap them and then I'll ask you the questions because I'd love it if we, it's, it's 8.48. We have a good 15, 20 minutes. That's all right. Um, I'll just recap them for you and then I'll ask you some practical questions um, that you can chat through in, in maybe groups of, of four. Number one. Gifts are bought and given as an expression of love. Real gifts are bought and given as an expression of love and not for another motive. Number two, gifts are intended for the good of the recipient to be used and to be enjoyed. Number three, the love that inspires that type of giving is based on a deep knowledge of the object of your affection. It's based on a deep knowledge of the person that you love. Number four, oh, they are, okay. Gifts are bought at the cost of the giver, but are freely received by the recipient. Number five, the greatest joy for the giver is to see their gift 
received and enjoyed in the spirit that it was given. And the greatest joy for the recipient is to enjoy the love behind the gift that they get showered with when they receive it. Number six, there is an inherent expectation for gifts that they're going to be used. And when gifts are used for their intended purpose, they bring great satisfaction to the recipient and to the giver. Number seven, the greatest insult and offense to the giver is to try to purchase their gift instead of receiving it in the spirit that it was intended to be received. Number eight, there is no return for the gift and the rejection of a true gift has a relational cost.